0: This is Brandy, written by Kyle Brooks and based on the screenplay of the same name. Episode 3, Show Me How to Live. Again, we would like to warn the listeners there are depictions of violence and sexual assault throughout this story. juvenile hall that was now the home of Harry Hosea Bronte, and it would remain his home until the age of 21. He had now found himself alone again, with no family, no guidance, and no help. After the attack on Darlene Campbell, Harry's adopted parents would later disown him from their care. But he was about to find out the true horrific nature of of what he was now involved in.
1: What were you thinking at the time? Hate. I think it was more hate in myself for being so sloppy, but hate that I couldn't control my urges. That's like a possession. You think about it and fantasize about it, and then before you realize it, you you're actually planning and acting on it. You then think, what would have happened if I just ignored it, didn't act on it? But I don't think that ever would have happened. When I arrived there, they they, they knew what I was in for, and uh, they let me have it. Let's just say that.
2: They abused you in there, the, the other boys?
1: Well... Wow. Yeah, they, they, they did more than that. They had kids inside there that had done a lot worse things than me at that point in time. I was assaulted pretty, pretty early on in there. It didn't start as in sudden horrific abuse, but, you know, it started as in intimidation in the cafeteria and places. But then it escalates. Now, when I used to go to the shower room, I required guard supervision, but I didn't get that. And I was ambushed by several boys and, you know, I tried to fight them off, but it wasn't wasn't possible. And I was, uh, you know, assaulted by them.
2: Sexually? Yeah. Yeah.
1: They, uh, they did things to me that I can only say bread hate, more hate. I knew if I did leave this place that I would come out an animal. I thought whatever human consciousness I had, I was going to lose in there alone. Um, I went into a world of delinquents as a horny teenager. I knew I'd leave worse than them if I didn't die. So what did you do? I had to
2: survive. Had to survive again. I fucked them up.
1: One night I took a pillowcase and filled it up to my grip with these stones. I started to slowly collect day by day from the yard. And then I beat the hell out of one of those fuckers whilst he slept. I didn't enjoy it at first. It was something I had to do. It wasn't something I was comfortable with. It was very alien to me, but the more time went on, the more confident I became with how things worked. I said I'd go on and on until I was okay in there. I still had schooling and so forth, but it was like, you could never feel safe in any part of that place unless they feared you. Another occasion, I was in the cafeteria and this kid's coming toward me and I just swung my tray across his face and stuck this plastic fork into the other kid's neck. I think it was his neck. And I I had two choices at that time. I could become a victim for the rest of my time there or become a predator. Word travels quicker when you're a predator. You make friends a lot quicker. I wasn't brought up to do the things I was doing, but it was that or end up dead.
2: You know? You didn't enjoy it at all. I enjoyed getting rid of the rage. I think in his own mind, he felt as much a victim as anyone else. He felt he had been passed over by his family, society, and he was purely a product of what they created. He spent his time in juvenile hall being ripped apart, raped and altogether humiliated until another switch flicked in him. This need for violence to survive. And I think that only fueled his belief that sex and violence are one of the same. He wanted to hurt them like he had been hurt. As he said, that was all proportionate to him. He stuck by that all of his life.
0: Following the information Ken had received from Dwight Lasky about Harry Brani's juvenile incarceration following the home attack, Ken sought out Harry's former warden at the detention center, Ronald Udall Sr. It was an attempt to understand how Bronnie survived his years of incarceration. At such a young age, and how it developed the boy into the man.
3: He was a model kid from what I remember. I mean, he had his problems when he first came in here like anyone else, but he'd do whatever he was told. Never had a schooling issue, was never violent to staff, never verbally abusive to staff. He was good. I never had to see him to reprimand him or take away any of his privileges, but in a place like this, if something does happen, it's very unlikely the boys will talk about it. The only difference between here and Arizona State Prison is age. It pains me to say it, but a lot of these boys would just leave here, learn nothing, and then go straight to the big boy prison first opportunity they got. They dealt with stuff here like inmates deal with their issues over there. They keep quiet about them. They don't snitch. Prison rules. Our staff are always on hand to help the boys with any problems they were having, but as I say, a lot don't want to talk. So there are without a doubt a lot of things I don't know about Harry during his time here. I can only comment on the way he conducted himself around the detention center.
2: There were never any outbursts of violence?
3: Not that I heard of. But what I will say is I think he was awfully lonely. That kid never had anyone come to see him. No family visits, nothing. He was a loner, I guess is how you would describe it. He did make a few friends here eventually, and when he left, I wished him well and told him go live his life and, and put the past behind him.
2: Do you think his time here played a part in what he would later
3: do? No. I mean, what were they supposed to do? He was convicted of breaking and entering and attempted rape. I think it was already on that path. What was the alternative back then? Let him just carry on roaming the streets? What I will say is that kid needed his family. That kid needed his family with him and if he still had that when he left here, who knows? The support today is not was not there back in the 1960s. We learned from that and if you're getting at what does not seeing or speaking to a female do after several years of incarceration, it's certainly not turn you into a fucking serial killer. Men go in and out of prison all the time. You don't end up with a ton of Brontes running around
2: I was torn with thinking institutions such as the one Harry was in and their lack of development was more of a catalyst than anything for that rage and seclusion from society or for society once you leave there you feel more of an outsider than you were anywhere. but also Ron was right
1: what else could you do back then as the years went on, things became easier in there. Half of me didn't want to leave at that point. It was a fear I had building up for well, whatever year of the past. I felt I could now survive in here, but I didn't have a clue how to survive now as an adult outside. Sure, we had schooling, workshop, we were learned how to drive, but we didn't know how to live outside. I left that place at 21 and I was set up in this halfway house, a program to get back on my feet on the outside. It was the early, it was the early 1970s at this point. You know, you know what the first thing was that I did when I got out? First thing I did was go back home but there was no home there anymore. Um, My foster parents had left. No idea where they had gone, and the house was now for sale. I tried asking around about where they went, but nobody would talk to me. And that's when I met her. Yeah. I walked into this bar downtown, first time I'd ever been in a bar in my life, and that's where I saw her. She was a barmaid at the time, and I was so nervous, I didn't I didn't even know what to order. She had a smart mouth on her back then. She always had a smart mouth on her. I think in the end, she pushed me to order a beer and a whiskey shooter, I think. Uh, Fist drink I ever had, and fuck, did I feel it instantly? <laughs> mm-hmm. Dutch courage, right? Did you ask her out there in that? Not exactly, no. Uh, she was hungry, okay. I was hungry. So we decided to get a bite to eat after a shift. I remember there were these couple of uh, the assholes across from me at the bar. And they were being very loud and rude toward her. In what way? Oh, you know, barking orders and being sexually forward. And I asked them to stop because it was obviously making her very uncomfortable. And I got some shit for that. Then she bit back in them. She always bit back. Always. And things escalated from there. I can't remember the exact words used at the time, but I do remember saying you're, you're you're being very rude. I think they replied fuck you or something to that effect. So I
3: waited a while, finished my beer. Walked over to
1: that guy and smashed my glass into his face. Lit his fucking face right up. Just shards of glass and skin all over the bar. Before anyone could do anything, I was out of there, gone. I never went back to that bar. What about Emma? Oh, I waited for her. I waited around back until she came out, and I <laughs> I guess I frightened her a little bit looking back when I when I asked if she still wanted to grab that bite. I I just wanted her to really trust me, and she did. We uh, we walked a few blocks, and I found this diner she she knew about, and we we just talked, just talked for
2: hours. Did you tell her about where you'd be
1: with what you had done? No. Did. I told her I'd been studying away, social studies, in fact, at UCLA. I liked her. She wouldn't talk to me if she knew where I'd been all those years. She was the only female I had actually liked ever. You have to remember those feelings and fantasies had not risen again yet. You can call her a distraction or whatever you want to call it. But whilst I was with her all the time back then, I didn't think about that stuff. I started to love her after one night spent with her.
2: See, you know, that's what surprises me. Anyone would say you're a psychopath. You have no empathy and
1: no conscience for what you did. But you loved her. You loved Emma. Look, that's just a label. A person like me needs a label. And yes, you say psychopath, but where I am still human, I do still feel. Serial killers do have emotions and do feel love. You just have to know where to hit them. Okay. So what happened then? Well, as I say, we we talked for hours about life, about dreams, about failures. And then I walked her home. I remember I remember Johnny Cash's uh, Wanted Man was playing over the jukebox in that place. Quite ironic thinking about it now. But every time I heard it, I thought of her. Did she ask you about the lump? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did tell her the truth about that. I don't know why. No idea. When we got back to her place, her roommate wasn't home, and we'll we'll get to that. But she actually played it for me, well, a rendition of it. Um, she know I like Johnny Cash. She's a great musician, um, great guitar player, actually. Uh, shame she gave it up. So, so what? What happened? What happened? And see that we were pretty much inseparable after that. I met her roommate the next morning. Pretty awkward situation, actually. Us. Yes. I was, let's say, uh, partially dressed when she came home. Uh, for a second, I thought I recognized something about her, but I wasn't sure to bring it up. And then Emma. Introduce
2: her, Ava.
4: I knew Emma from college and we were roommates all the way through. I never knew that that would lead me to finding my little brother. I don't know if I would say I'm a believer in fate, but it would be an unbelievable coincidence for us to meet each other like that again. He told me what happened and that he had been adopted by the Brontes and he had had a great childhood. That was a load off to know.
2: Did he mention his incarceration to you?
4: No, not at all. He didn't really speak of his upbringing. He just said that he had a wonderful time with them and that they had passed on. And he left it at that. If he did bring it up, he would try to change the subject as quick as possible. Like everyone else, we knew he had been through a lot in the early part of his life, so we didn't really push it. But to see him now grown into a young man was surreal. The last time I saw him, he was a little boy, all broken and bruised. It was the limp that gave it away, I think. As soon as I saw him, I wondered, but I thought, that is not possible. As soon as I started speaking to him though, I knew it was him. We embraced, we cried, we laughed. We had so much to catch up on and he wanted to see Noah as quick as possible. So I took him to see Noah. It was like, we were a family again, but this time we were free. He adored Emma. I know that sounds strange to hear when you know of all the horrible things that he did, but I only ever saw the other side of my brother, and that side was complete love for his family.
5: The first time I spoke to him on the phone, even called me and told me to sit down, she had some big news. I thought she was gonna say she was pregnant or something. So I steadied myself and she says, "Um, I found Harry. My knees buckled as soon as I heard that. And I found myself welling up. It's happening again now, just thinking about it, sorry. There was then the longest porch he came round to my house that afternoon and I was so nervous to see him he felt like we were the ones who left him I know we were all kids at the time but all those years without his real family left some guilt with us I'd say I just hugged him for a second I saw him to me he hadn't changed a bit well 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 what? His eyes. Had these real sad eyes now. I dunno. Was like something being lost in there. Maybe maybe it's just hindsight, but something wasn't quite right from the get go. Like I'm I'm sure Ava will tell you, we, we passed it off. I had my brother back. That's all I cared about. We we started seeing each other a few times a week after that. We had a, a lot to catch up on. And it was actually me who got got him his job at the USPS. I put it a good word for him with a buddy of mine. He seemed happy is all I can say. He had, he had Emma, a, a beautiful girl, and looked like they had a, a good future together. He, shit going on in his head that we didn't know about. He he was smitten with her and she was the same with him so it, it wasn't long before they were they were talking about marriage. You bought the house didn't you?
1: Yeah, yeah we started to get pretty serious pretty quick. And we wanted our own home. The old Bronte place had been through another one or two owners, I believe, since I was since I'd been away. But price was good. It was always a good home. It was all I knew and remembered from the outside. So there was definitely safety there. So we went for it. I I later actually proposed at the same diner we first went on our date. It might not seem like the most romantic thing now, but at the time, it was perfect for us. It was, it's like where, um, well, it was the beginning. It was the beginning of everything. So yeah, it was, it was right for us.
2: I, I don't get it. I just don't get it. You had this beautiful fiance, a lovely home, your family back, your brother got you this job at USPS. You went through hell. And came out with more than you sh- should have been possible. Then you just throw it all away for this double life. It sounds, it sounds intentionally self-destructive to me. It sounds like that now, doesn't it? Yes, but you, you must have felt something to marry her and see your family again. That's not a complete monster, and I don't think you believe you're that complete monster either. (sighs) Anyway, she gave me these. Said you might want to see wedding photos again.
1: She was the only thing that made me feel normal. If it wasn't for her, there would have been more. Certain of that. Did you ever tell her that? No. No. I told her I loved her every day, but when it all came to an end, I never told her that... I never told her that she was a savior. She was a savior to more people than she will ever know. How long
2: did you keep it all at bay before your first...
1: How should I say, you, how should I put this, your first outing? After Emma and I started dating, everything was great. Those urges were gone, I had love, I had a future. But nothing lasts forever. Did you
2: know those desires to harm would come back?
1: No. No, not at the time. Besides, I never enjoyed the killing part. That was just just something that went hand in hand with the Sado part. The less witnesses, the longer I could do it. Right? So,
2: what happened before that? I'm, I'm just interested to know how you could... Stand that break from violence and then jump right back into it if you didn't enjoy it. What the fuck do you know about it, Ken? Have you ever killed? You ever take a life? You ever take 13? You ever wondered why you do a habit?
1: You don't know and you'll never know. Wonder what made you that way, and then someone with a clipboard will say, No, nah, no, nah, I don't think it was that. You, you just enjoyed it. I've never been there myself. I've never been raped. I've never, I've never been
5: beaten to paralysis by the person who was supposed to protect me. I've never not known love. But it wasn't that that made you fuck them. They
2: don't know. It's no excuse for what I did, but it's it's up it's up to me to tell you why, not you to tell me. Okay. Okay, just please calm down.
5: I'm sorry. I
1: have these back. I'm sorry. Okay. That's right. That's right, and as I say, it was a happy time. I had my brother back, I had my sister back, and I was about to have a wife. I couldn't have asked for more. But the downfall was coming. I was getting these interests all over again. Why? Fantasy. Fantasy of control again. Fantasy of hurting those who would try to hurt me or offend me. She loved me, but I was missing fear. I was missing dominance. I was missing being the predator.
0: Next time on Brady While I was following her, I was thinking of a strategy. It was anger, but rational, controlled.
1: The blood was completely soaked into the carpet. I mean, the whole area around the body was just blood. The woman then woke up screaming. Don't scream, bitch, or I'll cut your fucking head off.